All In Podcast Show is home to the top entrepreneurs, innovators, and world changers sharing their breakthrough moments and how they are changing the world. We will bring mentors into your world who can help you find balance and build a bold life of excellence with your host, Daniel Giordano. Get off the sidelines. Get all in. And join us at www.allinpodcast.com. Hey, I want to welcome everyone to the All In Podcast Show today. And today I am fired up and excited to share a powerful message with you uh, from my friend, Manny Wolf. And um, just has an amazing uh, story, but also he's going to be uh, teaching within it as well, uh, within this message today about you know really how to uh, position yourself with your voice. So I am just fired up, Manny, to, to have you on today. And uh, welcome to the show. Dan, thank you, buddy. As we both know, this has been a long time coming, man. It's great to be here. Awesome. So, so I know uh, we've had some conversations over the past several months, and and uh, you've been on a journey to uh, impact people and and help them with their voice, help them get their message out, um, and uh, you know, uh, but but obviously it wasn't always like that for you. So I want you to you know start with your story about you know uh, you know I know you've had some adversities in your life, some some challenges, um, just you know where Manny came from. Sure, man. Um, I will give you the very quick. Uh, shocking version of, <laughs> <laughs> of the backstory. So <clears throat> today I am a public speaking and charisma coach. And so that means that if you need to be able to deliver from the stage in a way that is show stopping, that is dazzling to others and by doing so, lead them to sign up for your cause, your petition, your program, whatever it is you need to do. Uh, what I teach now is how to use your body language, your voice, and skills on the podium as your secret weapon. Where I came from was I was a little boy who was born into a cult in the late 60s, and I was programmed from birth not to fit into society. And it sounds like Perhaps an abstraction. It sounds perhaps like um, an odd thing to say, but that's really how it was. I, like all the rest of the children that were raised in that environment, we were taught that that was our only family and the only place we fit into. And so we were systematically taught to sort of reject larger society. Uh, it was a very con- it wasn't it wasn't confusing when I was a kid, but it was confusing when I got older and tried to fit into society because I didn't realize what I was being taught. So then, fast forward to when I'm eight years old, eight and a half maybe. This whole cult up and moves from the sort of relative normalcy and and safety of the San Francisco Bay Area in California, where. You know, that was where all the sort of the hippie uh, movement was, was, it was the epicenter of it on the West Coast. So we were like right in the middle of it. So much so that we didn't stand out at all. Well, then we moved to the middle of one of the top 10 most violent ghettos in the United States. And that would have been in Stockton, California. Um, and so I went overnight to being singled out for the color of my skin, the length of my hair, the way I dressed, the way I spoke, everything. And I know what it's like to have to fight for your life. And I learned that the hard way. So while other kids, 
I hope, were only having fights over toys and disagreements like that. I was fighting for my life. And I went through a four-year period there where it was like I was in fight-or-flight mode for four years. You know? <laughs> um, now, so that's sort of the, uh, the two main forces that set the trajectory of my life. <laughs> and I had no guidance to speak of. That was one of the weirdest things, Dan, was while all this was happening, we children that were in that, that cult uh, had no protection from the adults. And I, I still, you know, to this day, it's a little hard for me to sort of believe that that's how it was. But that is how it was. And so having a countercultural mindset instilled in me and then four years of intense violence and living in an environment where drug use was not only acceptable, it was sort of encouraged. By the time I hit 12 years old and we moved away from that ghetto, I just was, you know, I was set on a path. And that path was drug abuse, addiction, uh, criminal behavior, jails, you know, violence. And that's what marked my, uh, my childhood. And that's what marked my young adulthood. Well, fast forward for the sake of keeping it interview friendly to uh, right before my 28th birthday, I had been, you know, sort of going on a downward slope from, from 12 when I left that ghetto all the way to 28. And, um, I mean, by the time I moved to a different neighborhood, I had a full-blown set of addictions. <laughs> so that means I was 12 years old, you know, and I was, I was uh, changing my state with drugs every day. <clears throat> and, um, again, not having any supervision, I just sort of gravitated towards whoever would let a little skinny kid hang out with them. And it was always outlaws. It was always criminals and thugs and 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 that type of people um maybe that's just the town i was raised in i don't you know <clears throat> so i had a a, a very sort of shocking moment of clarity right before my 28th birthday i had been to jail uh more than once i had been homeless i had been a drug dealer uh just a you know a string a long string of destructive toxic relationships and um, I found myself at one moment making plans to hunt down and kill a man with another man hmm. and it just hit me all at once that I wasn't going to do that so that was you know that was the moment that my trajectory changed hmm. when I realized that I, I just disappeared from the environment that I lived in um, I told the guy I was talking to, great, meet me back here at midnight. We'll go do this. And I was never heard from again as soon as he left. So um, <clears throat> that's kind of the backstory there. That's the setup and you know how that takes me to what I'm doing today is from the minute that I made that decision and disappeared from that life, I began to really, really aggressively pursue like – what internal mechanisms did I have that led me there? You know, like I had to know, I had to know how the hell could I have come to that, that place. And so it, it started a, a long period of intense self-exploration, soul searching, self-education, personal improvement, um, that kind of thing. Right. And so, uh, 
the short answer is that I realized over over time, of course, um, all these incredibly destructive and limiting ideas that had been sort of put into my mind before I was old enough to sort of mentally defend myself. Does that make sense? Sure. And um, as I started undoing those things one by one, you know, piece by piece, the person who started emerging was – and, and I'm so glad that this was the case. <laughs> it turns out there was a really tender, vulnerable, loving, sort of a pro-social person who just wanted to be of service underneath all of that. Hmm. You know, and, and I mean, he just never had any room to come to the surface during my childhood and my adult years up to that moment. And so I started sort of letting him out little by little, you know. And um, so how did that lead me to what I'm doing now? Well, when I finally discovered um, Tony Robbins was a big influence on me, like many of us, a guy named Earl Nightingale, Stephen Covey, um, uh, his name is uh, the guy who founded the E-Myth Academy. Michael, Michael Gerber. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Michael Gerber was a big a sort of a, you know, detached influence. Like I, his material really affected me in a positive way. So Dan, what happened was I, I immediately upon finding these guys, I realized I want to help other people, you know, and, and they sort of showed me a way that it could possibly be done. Right. And, uh, but it took years of, you know, it was like my own my own personal ground zero inside of me. Mm -hmm. You know, I just had to clear away so much debris, so much rubble, so much destruction. Um and when I did, like I said, the guy that was revealed was this guy who wanted to help. And it turned out that I was very uh, sort of attuned to other people. I was very sensitive to other people. I I had all these sort of I would I would go as far as to call them gifts. Um, that were all focused around sort of how our minds work, how how our psychology works, and and really wanting to sort of be in that world and be contributing. And um, I did a lot of things in the intervening years and in, in sort of trying to find my groove. You know, I became a musician. I became an actor. Uh, I studied public speaking, and I did some public speaking. Uh, I became a playwright at one point, you know, just all these creative endeavors looking for not only the thing that stuck, but the uh, the place where I could be in collaboration with other people. And while my early attempts at collaboration were very frustrating, they were also very educational because I was picking up all these different skill sets along the way. Hmm. And uh, – if I was to fast forward to when you and I met, you know, what had happened was as I was trying to clear away all this sort of rubble of, of my own psyche, and I hope that that metaphor is not too sort of nebulous for people. Um, basically, I was trying to undo all the, all the inner sort of mechanisms that were holding me back. That's what I mean by that. Um, in that process <laughs> – I, I came to realize that my blood family was the last and possibly the greatest uh, barrier to my sort of self-actualization. 
and it was through no fault of their own. But I'm a big picture thinker. I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm sort of, um, I flatter myself that I'm some something of a visionary, you know. But the point is, is that all the things that that make up the core of my personality sort of fly in the face of my family. That's the point. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're all very sort of um, conservative, not politically, but just sort of conservative in their ability to, to gamble and to reach for the stars and think big and all that. And I know this isn't an unusual story in that way. I know a lot of us who really want to create and leave a legacy and live a life of purpose, uh, our families don't understand that. Right. So I struggled with this, like I'd pull away from my family and I'd have success and then I'd want to take my success back to my family and show it to them. And as soon as I tried to sort of come back into the fold, my success would crumble. This happened like four times, you know, and and each one was epic. You have to understand each of those times that happened was it was akin to my whole world falling through my fingers. You know, and I never made the connection that it was proximity to my family and their judgment that uh, and that judgment, of course, was based out of their own fears that was making my success fall apart because I couldn't simultaneously hold my success in the world and balance my need to fit in with them. Right. When I finally figured that out, uh, man, it was it was a hell of a day, my friend. Hmm. What had just happened was the entire world had just gone through the recession, you know, and this was a recession that brought countries to their knees. And I had sort of clawed my way through that whole four years, right, just by hook or by crook. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll tell you more about that in another interview. There was some (laughs) some of the things I did to keep keep myself moving forward were uh, they were not in alignment, shall we say. But you do what you got to do sometimes, especially when you don't know better. Anyway, um, I had one day, one day at right at the end, right when the world was starting to sort of get its bearings again financially. That was the day that within about three hours, I lost my apartment, my car, my driver's license got suspended, and I got my power turned off. Hmm. So it all happened. It all came crashing down at once. <clears throat> like I think most of us would do, I reached out to my family. Their best efforts to help me were, um, we're going to have a family meeting and figure out what we can do to support you. When they said that to me, it was like a spider crawled across my neck. Hmm. I mean, I just knew something. It was a deep intuition. In fact, it was too deep to recognize you know what I mean? It was just like a, a heebie-jeebie feeling. Right. But I go to this this uh, this family meeting. And by the way, <laughs> to give you a tip-off, my family doesn't do family meetings. Huh. Okay? <laughs> so, well, just, just to clarify, too, are they still at that point, at this point, are they still involved in this cult environment? Oh, good point of clarification. Uh, not directly, but... A lot of the ideas, you know what I mean? The ideas got in there deep. Right. So no, not direct association except for one of my brothers who uh, – that is definitely a different interview and and I won't bust him out like that. But um, so the mindset, the limiting beliefs, the sort of everything folds back in on itself kind of thinking Mm – 
definitely still present there to some extent. Um, so I go to this meeting where they're supposedly gathering to help me and it winds up being uh, basically about a two-hour misplaced intervention where all the struggles that I had been having for the last four years with the – you know, because I was in construction as you know. Um, and so the economy really – I mean it just took the legs out from under me. And all of that was blamed on me in this meeting. So there was never any talk of how like Greece almost went bankrupt, you know, and how how widespread this lack of work and ability to earn actually was, and instead it was all made about me and my shortcomings. Hmm. So you can imagine a, a sense of betrayal, right? Right. Well, here's the thing, my friend. That was the best thing they ever could have done for me. Although they didn't know it. Because in one glorious painful, cathartic moment, all of my need for their approval was severed, hmm. right? right? And and I'm a, you know, one of the things that sort of I find fascinating about myself is I am so much a catharsis guy. Like I don't really, you know, I, 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 I get that we all have incremental learning too, but I really do well with things that happen all at once. And with my family, I needed that because I wasn't seeing the patterns when they revealed themselves to me little by little. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And so it's like they just showed their true colors, um, their true sort of weakness of character in that moment. You know, and it's not easy for me to say that, but this is this is my truth here. For them to do that made me know all at once I shouldn't, I can't, and I don't need to rely on you people you know and and i totally accept that now it's so funny because um i won't go too far into the details of the meeting but by the time it was over i basically stood up and told them all to go screw themselves you know um i walked out and as i walked out my phone started ringing with work I mean, literally, it was like, boom, connection severed, and all of a sudden, the abundance starts coming back in. Right. Right? It mm. was – when I think about it in that way, it was, it was almost surreal because I had to walk back home about two and a half miles, and I booked three jobs on the walk home. You know, I, awesome. hadn't seen th- I hadn't seen three jobs in a row in like you know <laughs> huh. two years before that because things were so scattered and rough. Mm. So that set me, you know, on this course of like, wow, I, I've got to, you know, I get it now. And I was so liberated by that moment. And I just started feeling like, okay, um, I guess since the since construction is picking back up, I'll just focus on this. And for about three years, I had the best three years in, in my construction career after, right after that, starting that day. But then, you know, I still wasn't plugged into purpose and mission, right? For me, it wasn't about construction. Now, now, for many people, it might be, but that wasn't my calling. It wasn't my purpose. It wasn't my thing that I'm here to do. And uh, and so construction started just sort of telling me, hey, man, it's been fun, but you got to go. Hmm. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's like, buddy, come on, man. You're overstaying. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, uh, for another year and a half after that um, – 
while I was already trying to figure out how my coaching was going to show up and and how I was going to really serve people from my strengths, I was sort of serving two masters there. I was doing the one, which was coaching people on mindset and stuff like that and the construction at the same time because there's a fear of letting go. Right. You know, especially when one phone call, as you know, can mean it can mean five, six, ten grand, right? Mm-hmm. Or more. Yeah. And uh, and so there was a there was a, a a scarcity mentality there. There was a fear mindset, and um, and I didn't realize it, and I didn't sort of know how to let go. But anyway, uh, construction basically broke up with me. Is what happened. Mm-hmm. It, it dumped me after a while, and I just my fiance one day, and this would have been about, I want to say. Well, however long ago it was, I was telling her one of the stories of my my crazy childhood, and she just looks over at me and she says, "You got to write a book." I mean, seriously, you've got to write this down. And I'm used to like you know being a good storyteller and getting a reaction out of people, so I was just like, "Oh, honey, thank you. That's so sweet." She's like, "No, I, I'm not playing with you here. Like, you've got to this. You need to let people know about this." And I kind of got serious, and I was like, "Well." You know, I've always thought about writing a book. And she said, then do it. <laughs> She's very like, yeah, stop, stop, uh, stop half-stepping here. So I promised her I would. Um, seven months later, the book was done. And the question then became, well, how do I launch? How do I get a platform, right? And podcast was the obvious answer. So then that comes to the part of the story where you and I met. I began to develop and launch my podcast thinking of it as a platform for my book, you know, um, and make all these wonderful friends in the process and just have my eyes open to all these new horizons, all this new way of doing things. Because even though I was coaching people, I had no idea what existed online, you know. And so as soon as I discovered that, it was like somebody had pulled the curtain back. It's like somebody gave me the key to the secret door or something. I just was blown away by what was happening. The reach that we can have, the effect that we can have, the impact that we can have. Uh, I coach people now on – I have coached people on seven continents. That's incredible to me. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, so this is all leading up to to how – you know, how this ties into voice coaching and to public speaking coaching, people began to ask me, you know, how, how, do, how do you sound like that? And can you teach me how to sound like that? And so I took on those clients. And in working with those clients, I realized that um, a lot of these people were going to do more than just sound like this. They wanted to go on stages. And so I started drawing from my past experiences you know, the things that I had studied deeply during the, the, I guess, 20 years or so between the moment that I decided not to hunt someone down and the moment that these people started asking me these questions. And I realized I had this like incredible aha moment where it's like, wait a minute, I can teach this, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of the things we say in this, in this world is uh, invest, learn, teach, right? Right. Well, it never occurred to me that I had – invested and learned for years i just uh i just didn't connect those dots until until you know life or the universe or god whatever you want to call it said to me hey open up open your eyes here this is what people are asking of you 
You know what I mean? That's like, just in the same way that construction said to me, hey, buddy, you're done. You know, right. <laughs> you, you got bigger things to, to do here. Um, you know, it just became obvious that this was where the intersection of what I was already passionate about, what I was already so in love with, could not only serve people but support me. And since then, I've just been going full bore in that direction. I've got a, a book and a product coming out that focuses on the art and science of charismatic presentation. Uh, the product itself is partnered with a friend of mine who is a master international. Um, what he called, he defines himself as a speaker seller. And so between my half of the program, which which teaches people how to just absolutely rivet dazzle and compel from the stage he incorporates how to make money selling from the stage without spending your own money and uh this just all came together you know i had no plan to be doing this right so it's awesome because you're 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 stepping into your calling and and uh you know the the uh what i call the hidden gems that are that we don't even recognize yeah in us and uh you know really being able to uh uh, step out and be who you are and uh you know what's true to what your true passion is so um you know like i shared with you uh before it's like you know the the passion and the excitement that you have in your voice um and being able to um you know get uh to be able to share that with people and help them discover you know their own gifts and talents and be able to uh package it so that they could speak it um and uh and be passionate about it as well is is really powerful but i have a question and this is like totally you know off of the tangent just having some fun but you know you, you when you were sharing about how to um um you know people were asking you how can i sound like that like how can i sound like you i really want to know how do you get the women to sound like you that <laughs> 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 was, was a thought that came to my mind and i was just like i gotta have fun with this right no, that's a great question. That is a great question because it does come up a lot. Mm-hmm. And so you can take and quantify the technical pieces of what I'm doing with my voice and my energy and delivery and apply them to men and women seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Now, women – so 90% of us tend to speak from our head voices. Mm-hmm. What I, if you, if you've had training as a singer, anyone listening out there, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say head voice and chest voice. For the purposes of teaching you to speak and not sing, I refer to it as light voice and dark voice. I'll give you a quick example. Okay. So light voice is what I'm in right now. It's higher up. It's lighter. It's breathier. And it comes from behind the teeth. Pardon me. Now, that's great for high energy. It's great for facts. It's great for um, telling, okay? Then the dark voice or the chest voice kind of – I'm going to shift here now. You see that? See what I've done there? Mm-hmm. So that's the dark voice. That's the chest voice. That's great for emotional content. The classic example that I give is like if I was to say to you, hey, Dan, I'm so glad to be on your podcast and I know we're going to have a really good time. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Right. So this works just as well for women. Um, And interestingly, women have tend, in my experience, to have a little bit of a – it's awkward for them to go back into their throat voice like that because it's very seductive, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
it's um it's very um uh attractive it's a very flirtatious kind of a uh, sort of a sound when women do it when they get sort of all back in their chest voice and they're talking to you boy you'll know mm. let me tell you <laughs> you'll know <laughs> if if you're if you're face to face with a woman who uh can switch like that it's it's going to really as a man it's going to get you mm. but uh yeah so that's what it is it's not talking like me it's using these same methods you know and basically what we want to do when it comes to our voices is first i'd like to i'd like to point out to people that we as humans we connect to human voice in a way that is more profound and more meaningful to us than any other thing that we can connect to with people mm-hmm. and my theory is this i mean voices are are one of the things that identify us but more than that when we were in utero our mother's voice washed over us for like nine months. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was a complete sensory experience. And I think that that has something to do with why voice is such a sort of primal connection for us. Mm-hmm. But but be that as it may, um, <clears throat> if we can change sort of playfully and effortlessly from our bright voice to our dark voice – or a light voice to our dark voice, if we can put interesting rhythm, tempo, and cadence in the verbal delivery, if we can do things like when it's time to say something important, slow down our speaking, slightly over-enunciate our articulation, all of these things broaden the spectrum of the emotional access that a person has to us because they are, in fact – they're, they're mechanical devices that create more emotion. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And so whether you're a man or a woman, uh, the more sort of emotional accessibility you have, the more people will connect to you emotionally. And it sort of goes without saying, I'm sure, when I put it like that. So what are the benefits of that? You are perceived as more charismatic – more caring, more open, more trustworthy, mm-hmm. right? And so this is not sort of common knowledge, but guess who knows this already? The top speakers, the top singers, the top actors, and the top politicians in the world. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who already know this, right? You you never hear a great orator who doesn't have lots of modulation in their voice, lots of inflection, lots of different rhythm, tempo, and cadence. Um, in my in my program, I talk a little bit about I don't care at all whether you like Barack Obama, okay? Mm-hmm. But if you want to study great speech writing and great verbal delivery, listen to his classic Yes, We Can speeches. Mm-hmm. You know, it does not matter what you think about the man personally, and I am not here to talk politics with anyone. But I will tell you this. I I heard an interview with his chief speechwriter, and I already kind of knew that his speeches were um, unusually good. Mm -hmm. But you know that that simple little slogan, yes, we can? Mm -hmm. They scrapped over 50 campaign slogans before they came up with those three simple words. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And the whole reason for that was they understood that if they can write a campaign slogan that has a beautiful rhythm built right into it, that they can write beautiful campaign speeches. Right. And I just I, I love this so much because it was such a deeply thought about thing that we just took for granted. Right. You know? And so it was deliberate that he could get up there, very reminiscent, by the way, of of other very effective black leaders. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he could say things like, Can we come together as a people? Yes, we can. Can we do this? Da da da. Yes, we can. Can we do that together? Yes, we can. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful, potent rhythm there. Mm-hmm. You know, and though it's so the thing that is so funny to me and so amazing is like that was all deliberate. Right. And that was all intended to play upon many different factors. The 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 political group he was trying to energize, which was the young and disenfranchised, mm-hmm. which, by the way, swept him into office right. based on the strength of his public persona, which was about 80 percent the way he spoke. Mm-hmm. So I just I want to I want to let people know the the sort of um, next level secret of being able to create emotional accessibility for other people. Sure. Okay, so that's why I bring that all up. It is mega powerful. Absolutely, yeah. That's definitely a good. That's definitely a good story to uh, share. You know, because it's it is a powerful. Uh, gives you a powerful representation of of uh, what a voice can do and how the impact that it could have. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, whether it be to to uh, you know step into the Oval Office or 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 uh, move people to purchase your program. You know, uh, the that's you know, or, exactly you know, invest right. in you. So yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, I always like to use this analogy, too. Let's say that all other things are held equal between two people, right? Mm-hmm. Let's use you and I, even though it's not a fair example because you're freaking awesome. But <laughs> um, let's say that you and I have the same package to sell. We have the same passion to help, right? We have everything is the same, but one of us has all this sort of understanding about how to use vocal tonality and rhythm and, and all these things I'm talking about. So when we go to tell people about what we're doing, whichever one of us has that is going to be more like the guitar player who plays beautiful melodies and refrains and is interesting and the guitar player who just plays one note at the same rhythm all the time. Sure. You know, and so it's like it's that potentially powerful for you. Sure, definitely. So you're definitely going to win that one. So <laughs> I just put up my flag now, right? <laughs> oh boy! So um, that's awesome. So I, I um, definitely, as we uh, close out here, I, w- I want you to uh, share a little bit about uh, you know how people um, can, because uh, I think we definitely covered a couple other points already that I don't need to even ask the question of of what people can do because we just perfectly um stepped into that um but i think that um you know people are definitely going to need to know more about you and and how they can get a hold of you how they can uh, find out more about your programs and your new book coming out absolutely so if you want to come and and get a hold of me directly the best way really is just to shoot me an email manny m-a-n-n-y at the steep side dot com 
as in the steep side of the mountain. So not the shallow side, not the easy to traverse side, the steep side. <laughs> Manny at the steep side.com. Really the best way to do it, but feel free to reach out to me on Facebook as well. I've got, uh, the steep side of the mountain on Facebook. I've got my website that you can also connect with me through, which is called thesteepside.com. Um, and other than that, if you're interested specifically in learning these presentation skills, I've got a closed Facebook group called Charismatic Beasts. You're welcome to uh, to ask me for entry into that group, and I'm happy to happy to let you in if it's something that'll serve you. It's brand new. I'm very excited about it, and you know, it's like it's like the rest of us. I'm all over the place, mm. but Facebook is really where I spend most of my time connecting with people. If you try to hit me up on Twitter or something like that, it, it may or may not pan out because I just it's not on my in my bandwidth right now. Sure. So those are the best places. Okay. Well, awesome. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time, Manny, and, and uh, you know sharing your voice with the world and with our listeners and and um, definitely having the impact that you're having uh, to uh, really help people. It's definitely needed in this industry um, and uh, you know across many different platforms. So it's, it's uh, going to be an awesome uh, journey and powerful to see the impact that you're having. Well, thank you, buddy. Um, I am so excited for what the future holds. And there is nothing that compares to being able to labor diligently in a way that connects to your mission. It's just – I wish that for everyone. Absolutely. So, well, thank you, buddy, for taking the time and uh, appreciate it. My pleasure, Dan. For more information on the links and resources recommended in this show, please visit allinpodcast.com.